<laughs> I was personally disappointed that Crazy, the song Crazy on this album was not a cover of Patsy Cline's Crazy. Because mm. I really wanted to hear Crazy for Feeling. <laughs> <laughs> in the western sky and the vampires are out on the sly at times they have trouble finding next to bite that's why i concocted my new delight my rival flavor flavored non-carbonated holly unsaturated blood What's up, posers? Welcome to Punk Lotto Pod, the game where no one wins. I'm your co-host, Justin Hensley. I am your other co-host, the crying ghost of James Dean. (laughs) What? Just a little inside (laughs) joke. I sent the gif of James Dean crying to uh, Paul and Justin um, (laughs) while listening to our album for this episode. So just a little spoiler. (laughs) Couple It's rough. (laughs) Man, you like ruined my whole typed-up intro I've got here. All right. <laughs> well, fine. Here's the alternate take in case you have to edit it out. I am your co-host, Dylan Hensley. And this is the show where, using a number generator and the Rate Your Music punk charts, we choose one album and one EP at random to discuss. But we're not doing any of that today, so I don't know why I cared so much about that. I mean, we are doing an album and an EP. <laughs> sure. They, they were picked at random, supposedly. <laughs> hey, don't pull the curtain back too far. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> uh, that other voice you hear uh, <laughs> is returning guest, uh, Paul DeCiccio. Uh Paul, how are you doing? Uh, not too bad, not too bad. I said your last name right, didn't I? You did. Okay. <laughs> I panicked halfway through for some reason. <laughs> I, I was definitely going to be like, if you had me introduce myself, I was going to be like, and I'm Danzig's mother. No. <laughs> Picking up bricks. <laughs> I, I am buried underneath his front yard, according to uh, Henry and Glenn Forever. <laughs> That's right, ghouls and and booze. <laughs> yeah, I hope y'all ready for a spooky episode. <laughs> yeah. It is uh, the return of the Halloween spooktacular. Yes, Halloween spooktacular. This will be part four. Roman numerals like a horror movie. Yeah, it's the it's the treehouse of horror treatment. Yeah, <laughs> the podcast of horror, which that's just a regular episode for us. Um, <laughs> so now we just need to like insert a thunderclap and evil laughing and like that Transylvania organ music. Yeah, um, I, 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 I got a pedal. Then we could make uh, thunder. <laughs> just some sheet wet, sheet metal, and, and <laughs> we can bow some saws and. <laughs> Sample uh, some of my uh, one of my multiple Halloween sound effects records. I listen. <laughs> I went back and listened to some of the intros to the, the uh, previous Halloween episodes, and you mentioned your Halloween special effects record on those too. I just gotta. I'm not gonna listen That's to them. So I gotta. I gotta milk them for whatever <laughs> I can get out of them. You only get to play them one month out of the year. Come on. <laughs> 
but what a month. <laughs> <laughs> For those not familiar and who, who didn't listen to last year's Halloween Spectaculars, which I don't recommend doing, <laughs> we, they were very Anything early before, mind. like, episode 30, just don't. <laughs> and if you have, I'm sorry. <laughs> that includes you, Paul. <laughs> yeah, fair. I already listened to them all. <laughs> Apologies for wasting your time. <laughs> if you didn't last listen last year, so for the month of October, we will be discussing only horror punk, psychobilly, death rock, and gothic rock. Because we thought it was a good idea. <laughs> and now momentum. Right. We need we need some sort of recurring uh, segments on this show. Well, and like last year, we we accidentally dipped into horror punk and gothic rock and That's true. spooky music a little bit early. A couple weeks ago we did 45 Grave and the birthday party. Last year we did uh, we did a damned record. It was like one of the real gothy ones too. So yeah, like the week before we started our Halloween episode. So, oops, we don't do a very good job planning. Yeah. <laughs> Halloween starts when the pumpkin spice latte comes out. All right, so uh, like, that was like a month ago. Right in the middle of August. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my shop has pumpkin spice year round. You just got to ask for it. <laughs> oh man, that's a game changer right there. Do you have bats stealing all the time? Spiderwebs? Yes. <laughs> oh, man, I want a coffee shop that's just Halloween-themed year-round. <laughs> I was thinking the other day, I was like, I wonder what it's like to work at one of those coffee shops that, like, listens to nothing but grindcore. <laughs> Not because I want to listen to grindcore at work. Just, like, what's it like working at a coffee shop where you can listen to whatever you want? I mean, on the real, anytime I'm in Philly, I go to Grindcore House because it's awesome. That is like the best coffee shop in that entire city. And their whole shtick is grind, grindcore. Yeah. <laughs> like their logo is illegible. <laughs> it's great. There's a yeah. new, I have a new coworker, someone who started recently who we, so I work in a coffee shop in Scottsdale. So Scottsdale is a city that likes to pretend it's a cowboy city and it's really not. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it like the slogan is that it's the west's most western city and it's total bullshit i mean it's just like the west's most artificially western city like that would be an accurate description it's just rich people and people who think they're rich for the most part so we listen to a, a lot of real bad pop country oh, God. that's what some of the people who work there like so <laughs> someone who started recently asked if we could listen to other music and so she like put it on, immediately put it on sonic youth radio <laughs> and i'm like that's too far yeah yeah pull it back pull it back a little bit but i noticed after she had changed the station that the music was real quiet and i walked over there and and looked at the the ipad that was playing music and it was like playing like it was playing like some crust band and i'm like what? How does iHeartRadio even have <laughs> trust to play on this radio station? 
that's, like, awesome. mm, that's probably why it got turned down. <laughs> Just blasting tragedy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand why people aren't hanging out anymore. They just take <laughs> coffee and go. <laughs> I, I can't think of a worse coffee shop music than pop country. I don't <laughs> I mean, know. How, I guess for the rough. area. <laughs> Maybe. And yeah, it's not uncommon to hear in restaurants just some Dirk Bentley. I mean, it's the home of, it's the birthplace of Dirk Bentley. <laughs> well, I'm in the birthplace of Eric Church. He has the, <laughs> we have Dirk Bentley's Whiskey Row in Scottsdale. Awesome. Which is where they play pop country, but with dance beats. <laughs> I guess I forgot to mention, uh, <laughs> Paul, what you're from. Uh, oh, I mean, you know, they, they've listened to the episodes at this point. No. Yeah, um, you run a record label called Tor Johnson Records, which um, you also have a number of other side gigs playing in bands and uh, running your own print shop. But uh, you just put out a brand new record, so why don't you tell everyone about it? Sure. Uh, I just put out the uh, third LP from a Boston band called Sneeze. Uh, they are they kind of play that nouveau grunge thing, but it's all like guys who have been in screamo bands and punk bands in the early two thousands uh, in New England, and uh, it's really good. I think. I, oh, I, really yeah. like <laughs> I was listening to it today because I got my copy in the mail yesterday and nice. uh, and it <laughs> it's so fucking good but I, I texted a picture of like one of the tracks and I was like is this a black metal song <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the band members definitely draw on a lot more of their the stuff they personally listen to in this record like some of the other records are definitely more straight rock and roll with like obviously punk like background Mm -hmm. But one of the guys is in the metal band Forn. The guys were in the band Latidum, uh, the old screamo band. And oh, you definitely yeah. feel, nice. yeah, you definitely hear a lot more of those influences uh, in this record. There, there is definitely a song that you're like, if the rest of the record wasn't a rock and roll record, this is a black metal song. Yeah, <laughs> but the reference of the rest of it, you're like, oh, I guess it's kind of a rock and roll song. Mm. I, I think it's their best record too. I listen, yeah, I listen to the last, like the first two they did as well, and I think this might be my favorite out of all three they've done. So, yeah, they definitely uh, kicked it up a, a notch with this one. They recorded with uh, one of the guys in Western Mass that does like Speedy Ortiz and Dinosaur Junior. Oh shit! So, yeah, it sounds sounds real good. Yeah, <laughs> is this their going for it record? Uh, I don't know why they picked me to put it out, but yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a great record, and everyone should go buy it, because it, it, it rules. So, I guess we can jump into the episode. Seeing as how we don't have a specific chart, or a specific year we're talking about for this month, we won't talk about them too much. I will say that uh, the way we determine what we're talking about is we just throw in horror punk, psychobilly, death rock, and goth rock into the Rate Your Music charts. And then we use the random generator to pick them. It winds up with like a crazy number of albums on there, like 9,000 albums or something. <laughs> it was like 37 pages of results or something along those lines. So we had to filter through a few things just to get some names we might even recognize. But <laughs> this first one. <laughs> All right. Our album for this week. I can tell you the number, but it doesn't really matter. Yeah. 
totally irrelevant. It is irrelevant. It's number 920, if that gives you an idea of what we're working with here. It <laughs> It is the Necromantics and their album, What Happens in Hell Stays in Hell. basics on this because i have a lot to say but i want to go ahead and get some of these credits out of the way uh so it was released on august 2nd 2011 so we're we just passed its uh what (laughs) eighth anniversary (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it was released on hellcat records tim armstrong from rancid's record label uh who which we previously talked about on our distillers episode necromantics formed in 1989 in okay here we go kobenhaven Hovenstaden, Denmark. <laughs> uh, also, they're listed as being from Copenhagen, so I'm imagining that's where they uh, kind of made their name. Uh, but then they also moved to Los Angeles in the mid-2000s. I say them, but I'll explain that in a moment as well. This is their eighth studio album. Personnel on this record is Kim Necroman on bass and vocals, Lux Drummerette on drums, <laughs> Francisco Mesa on guitar and backing vocals, and the record was produced by Kim Necroman himself in Hell, which is also a record label that's released Horror Pops albums, which Kim was a member of, and is also his label. It's very weird. He just uses Hell as kind of a catch-all for everything. I think it's a studio-slash-label that he runs. Yeah, that'll be all I say for the moment, but... (laughs) So let I want to get everyone's take on this record. <laughs> Who wants to go first? I want to I want to clarify. I went looking on the Rate Your Music, just the Psychobilly charts, just to see how this compares to all Psychobilly records, and it winds up at one eighty three on the Rate Your Music charts. See, that, and it's, that's more where I expected it to be, like not in the nine hundreds. Right. Yeah. Well, I even went a little further and put it in to the year 2011 Psychobilly albums, uh, and it's number five on there, which there are only 18 listed. (laughs) I've also never heard of any of the other bands on this list, 
And I even added in Rockabilly just to see if I got some like sort of overlapping bands. And the only thing that I pulled up that I even knew was a Brian Setzer album, <laughs> which was instrumental. <laughs> a Chris Isaac album of country and rockabilly covers. Interesting. <laughs> and one by Imelda May, who is a musician I was forced to listen to at Barnes & Noble when I worked there. <laughs> <laughs> I also wanted to say, out of all of the Necromantics records, this is their lowest rated. It, yep, you're right. You're right. It has a 2.74, with making it, yes, their lowest record, lowest rated album. The next album up is 2004's Dead Girls Don't Cry. <laughs> God, these puns. <laughs> it has a 3.14. And their highest rated album is 1991's Curse of the Coffin with a 3.44. So not only did we force ourselves to listen to the Necromantics, but we also listened to their <laughs> worst record. Well, does that include rating for the one that apparently came out like three years ago? I guess they had a newer record in 2016. They had one in 2016. That one is actually one of their highest rated. Really? Um, okay. It is a 3.32. <laughs> the only other records that are above it are 90s albums. All right. Actually, one in 2002. There was a 3.42. That's probably their my, uh, highest rated. But yeah. My speculation was going to be that, like, obviously the psychobilly bubble had burst. And, <laughs> you know, by 2011, who's really uh, buying Necromantics records? Well, I mean, there were only 18 psychobilly albums on this chart. So it's not, <laughs> <That's> really, <true. laughs> it's not really a hot scene anymore. I, uh, actually lived in uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, which is the home of the Heavy Rebel Weekender, which is a big rockabilly, country, psychobilly music festival. That's probably the the only one. (laughs) (laughs) There is one in, I want to say, it's in the Bay Area, I want to say. I had a manager at my job who was way into psychobilly in high school, so she talked about seeing the necromantics and like tiger army and like all these other, like it's, it was like a, a, a psychobilly festival that took place on a pirate ship. What? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if I can find that real quick. Um, there, there's actually a really big one in Sturbridge, Massachusetts as well. It's like a really big rockabilly, less psychobilly uh, yeah. festival. It's like, you know, combined with like hot, hot rods and like yeah. that stuff. And I was, I was going to say, Heavy Rebel is, it's a car show, rockabilly, <laughs> sideshow, burlesque. It's just all of that stuff. I mean, it all goes hand in hand. Yeah. <laughs> one without the other. <laughs> Can't play Psychobilly without cool cars. All right. Right. <clears throat> it's called, it's called Rock the Ship. <laughs> nice. That's the one in the Bay Area. <laughs>
All right, all right. We've all been, we've been dancing around it. What did everyone think of this record? Uh, Paul, you're the guest. You can go first. You know, uh, you take away the lyrics and I didn't hate it. <laughs> like, I don't know. I have this like weird fascination with like rockabilly, psychobilly stuff. And I feel like a lot of it maybe comes from being a band geek and like this being the coolest version of like a, you know, offshoot of swing, I guess. I don't know. Like it's weird how infectious every psychobilly riff is like while it's playing, you forget about it when it's once it's over, (laughs) you know, like none, none of, none of it ever sticks with you, but while it's playing, you're like, Oh wow. Like this is like, it's all one riff. Every song is like one riff or two riffs and that's it. But they're always just like the perfect riff for that type of music. If that makes sense. Yeah. The, it is true. Like it, it kind of like immediately fades from your memory as soon as you're done listening to it. Probably because nearly every song sounds the same. I will say this about this recording of the Necromantics or this record is that uh, Lux is kind of an insane drummer. Yeah. So, well, you mentioned her. Uh, let's talk about her for a second. This is Lux's only album with the band. Yep. Because um, she like sprained both her knees or like broke both her knees or something. <laughs> like while she was in the band with them, which what? I don't know all the details for, but that sounds pretty suspect. So I watched a video where she explained it. She strained, sprained her knees while like running and then didn't stop running made it worse, played drums, made it worse. Like, she basically just destroyed her knees by not letting them rest. Mm-hmm. So, what year was this video that I found? Oh, it was like... 2015, she posted yeah. a video. Uh, it was after she left the band. Uh, it was. It's a full-on music video made, I guess, by her. And, like, she, it's multiple cameras, filters, effects... Extras and yeah. costumes. Like, this was a very expensive video. It's very professional looking. It's real slick. And it's literally just her playing along with the song, What Happens in Hell Stays in Hell. So, like, none of the other band members are in the video. And I was watching it and I was like, she has the weirdest drumming posture I have ever seen. And then I realized she was standing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I watched the. I, I ended up going down a rabbit hole watching her videos after that video you sent. All right, uh-huh. it's the only one with her standing. Yeah, she normally sits. Yeah, she's normally a sitting drummer. I looked at pictures of the Necromantics. She doesn't play standing up. Like she, that wasn't a shtick that yeah. she did with them. For some reason in this video, she is standing up while playing this song, and in all of her videos, even one sitting like she used to be in a thrash band like that like was pretty crazy. She plays in high heels. Yeah. <laughs> and like plays like crazy, like grind, like double bass, like t- actually having two bass drums in like stilettos. And <laughs> as a drummer, I'm like, yo, first of all, what you're playing is awesome and ridiculous. But then like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> so she quit the band to play more metal. Like, that's why she left the Necromantics. <laughs> Maybe that's why she sprained her knees. I mean, she just always wear stilettos. <laughs> I, I would think so. <laughs> Running in heels. 
Oh, yeah, she does everything in them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that video, it's a drum cover. That's how it's titled. Yeah. Who what puts that much money into a drum cover <laughs> of a song that you played on for a band you're not in anymore? Yeah. And then it's not even actually a drum cover. I don't believe that the drums that you hear in that video are the drums she's actually playing. I don't doubt that she can play them, but like they're clearly not synced. Like the video right. and the audio are off. And I don't believe she's playing that double pedal standing up. I, I don't <laughs> you never know how anyone could do double. that. You never see her playing a double uh, in that video. Like she definitely does in the song. Like mm-hmm. 100%. I went, so I went to her website too. Um, I did too. <laughs> okay. So you know how most like uh, WordPress sites or things like that put in that filler, like just gibberish that you're supposed to take out. Mm-hmm. Is you that what that pick? was? Yeah. Okay. So that is, it's like, I forget what it's called, but it's like industry standard that when you're creating a website, you put that gibberish like in the place of real words so you can see how it's all going to lay out mm-hmm. and then like fill it in with the real words mm-hmm. and she didn't <laughs> take away the gibberish on multiple sections <laughs> i mean it's a nice looking website but it was just really funny well she also updated in like 2016 saying she's got a new website coming soon which i'm wondering if this is the new website or if uh maybe it's not done yet it's it's been three years maybe it's not done yet <laughs> maybe <laughs> she also has kind of disappeared from online um she made a post in 2018 on instagram this has turned into a weird podcast all of a sudden uh (laughs) like i feel all right so i I feel bad because all right in that general scene like having a female musician is it's not a rarity but having a female musician that's like uh pretty forward in the band is more of a rarity it's a very Mm -hmm. male male dominated like genre so she is extremely talented and i wonder if like coming f- out of like the metal scene into that scene that she was like no nah, i'm good i'm gonna yeah go on back I, I am curious if it was the scene that kind of she left it showed it, the post on instagram she made in like 2018 showed her playing with the necromantics again but it was like a la show and they're opening for reverend horton heat so i it was it seemed like it was a one off thing cuz she didn't post she hasn't posted anything since then yeah, um, on their Wikipedia, it says that um, in October of 2017, whoever their drummer was left and Lux filled in for a couple shows, and then they got a new guy in 2018. Yeah. Um, <laughs> man, we spent a long time on her. Uh, <laughs> and only one of us got to express their opinion on this record. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. 
did you think of this record? Oh, man. <laughs> oh, wow. So, I, I wanted to clarify up front this record's place in their discography and in terms of Psychobilly in general. And I guess I also want to clarify that I'm not a big Psychobilly fan. I mean, I enjoy some, mostly like Robin Horton Heat. And that's about it. <laughs> a little bit of Batmobile. Like, you know, we did that record last year and that was enjoyable enough listening to it. Like, like Paul said, most of the time Psychobilly is fine when you hear it. It's just like, hey, that's that sounds like Rockabilly. <laughs> yep. Like, can't really complain, but I also don't listen to a lot of Rockabilly. So, <laughs> but this record was especially rough. The guitars weren't hooking me at all while I was oh. listening. I mean, just, and the mix of this record is way off. Like, it is just all drums. Mm-hmm. Vocals are super buried, which is kind of a good thing because the vocals aren't very good and the lyrics are <laughs> hilariously <laughs> bad. He's got, he's got bats in his pants and he wants to see what's in yours. <laughs> he wants to know. Sorry. Um, the. <laughs> The guitars were too metallic sounding, and I just feel like all you could hear was just triggered drums and like the clicking that you hear from the bass in Psychobilly bands. So that it was, was just clickety 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 click. That was it. The whole record. I was gonna say the same thing about the bass. I was like, you can barely hear what the bass is doing on this album, but you know he's playing because you hear that click that you only hear in Rockabilly. <laughs> Do you think uh, that has to do with the fact he built his own base? It, <laughs> it is made out of a coffin. Yep, that's true. <laughs> yeah, Kim Necroman is famous for his coffin-shaped upright base with a cross-shaped headstock. Is he? He's not the only one to play one like that, is he? I think he. I think maybe bands later adopted it, but he like built it. Yeah, from a baby coffin. Yes. <laughs> The first one. <laughs> oh, no. And then he started, like, constructing his own later just so that it got better acoustics and everything. Yeah, maybe that's why it doesn't sound very strong. It's because it's a square, almost. <laughs> it's not, like, huge hollow body like an upright is. And I agree with I the assume part. that that bass is... It's gotta be an electric bit like it has to have a pickup into in it because he plays it live and he's not standing in front of my of a microphone because otherwise he's not he can't do bass tricks <laughs> like well, it, a lot of, a lot of people with stand-ups like that have that like extra pickup like you would put in an acoustic guitar yeah it's gotta have so, like a piezo pickup or something something which maybe a, that's why it's more clicky because it's just like a yeah a, a surface mount mic basically but yeah i don't know i don't know they could have overdubbed it with some electric bass (laughs) yeah just to make it a little bigger sounding speaking of like overdubbing it sounded like the guitars were just were just a single layer like there's no guitar layering on this record at all it feels like it's almost coming out of like one channel so it like gives you like this lopsided effect when you're listening to it on uh it with like your headphones and stuff I so I was looking up Francisco is their ninth guitarist and they have had seven playing on different records and Necromantics are a three piece. Yeah. And the only constant member is Kim, who is the bass player. How can the well, 
they don't. I was going to say, how can a band maintain any sort of consistency musically? And I listened to a little bit of a bunch of different albums last night, and they don't really maintain. They sound like a different band on almost every single record. Yeah, they'd have to. I mean, changing your guitar players that much, you're going to have just different ability, different playing levels, different styles, different guitar tones, like... One guitarist can change so much over the course of a band, like have seven different guitar players throughout. <laughs> They're never going to sound the same. And it makes me wonder how Kim is to work with. He's, he's got to be great. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm real curious because like as a lot of these lyrics are real gross. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering if that's purely that's the scene. Like, you know, there's plenty of gross cramps lyrics. You know, it's kind of part of the the vibe of psychobilly. Yeah. So, and I was thinking about that. Like there's a degree of like sleaziness that I expect from psychobilly because of the genre. Like it's camp, you know, you you Mm -hmm. expect it to be like, like sleazy. Yeah. Like a John Waters movie. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But there's something off putting about his lyrics in particular. I was wondering, is that because he's from Denmark and maybe English, you know, English is definitely a second language for him. Yeah, I I was thinking too. Maybe it's a linguistic barrier. But then the question is, like, they've been a band for 30 years. (laughs) Yep, as of this year. (laughs) 30 years. Like, at some point, he's got to be like, all right, I'm out of I'm out of jokes. (laughs) well you've got to wonder like how much of it like is shtick and how much of it is just like well this that record sold so i guess i should get grosser on the next one well (laughs) well i think it's easy to not run out of lyrics when you're referencing things that happened three to four more more years back the album is called what happens in hell stays in hell, which is a reference to the Las Vegas advertising campaign from the early 2000s, you know. <laughs> oh, right. And this was 2011. So that was old by then. And then even on the album, there's a song called I Kissed a Ghoul. Yeah. Which is a play on Katy Perry's I Kissed a Girl, which came out in 2007. So he waited three years before he... <laughs> reference that song which that song was especially weird right and i wanted to talk about that one specifically because that one was like i'm not offended by the necrophilia no (laughs) i'm offended by the way that he's harassing this ghoul in the club (laughs) he just can't leave her alone yeah I put my arm around her. She didn't resist or say no. Well, that's not a yes. That's not a yeah. (laughs) (sighs) Saturday night, hanging out at the Bobuda. One was meant to be one drink, turned into two, three, four, five. Nothing much was going on. The place was pretty much dead. My buddy said, Listen, join us all. Oh, I'm a going home to bed. That's when I saw her sitting in the bar. She was quite attractive yet extremely bizarre I told my friend I'll stick around for at least another shot I couldn't get my eyes on her My God, she was so freaking hot I held my Jaeger bum, but then I could hardly 
understanding. No wonder my bar tap is close to a grain. I was trying to come up with the perfect pickup line. And to impress her, I ordered the most expensive red wine. Hey, babe, what's up with you? Singular, do you have a guy? Wanna please tell me your name? Still shouldn't be replied. I put my arm around her, she didn't resist. I'll say no. That's when I knew the deal was sealed. Oh, boy, she was ready to go. So, yeah. (laughs) Why was this record so long? (laughs) That is another good question. Did there need to be 13 songs on this? Yes. Well, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Because then you don't get to name your 13th song Triskaidekaphobia, The Fear of 13. (laughs) Can we we talk about the fact that that song, like, the way it ended – just how it just goes off into like sort of a tribal like drum beat. I kind of really liked it and it should have been a, a metal band. <laughs> like that, that song could easily not be a psychobilly band. It could just be like a really good, like stonery metal band. <laughs> it was the only instrumental song on the album too. Right. And like, I feel like they only put it there purely because so they could have 13 and call it Triskaidekaphobia. Right, yeah, it's they wrote twelve songs and they were like, "Oh, well, let's just write one more." So there's thirteen. Like <laughs> listening to that one, I'm like, "Oh, I wonder if Lux wrote that one because there's a whole lot of really good drumming in that one." <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe it was something. Maybe she was jamming on in the in the studio, and they were like, "Let's make a write a song around this." Maybe Francisco helped like actually write that one. I don't know how much like Kim writes the music, or if he just lets the guitarists write the whole thing. Yeah, because I mean, it, it's weird that he's the only constant because the bass almost doesn't matter. Right. Right. It's so, I mean, he must be a guitar player too. I mean, he, he, if he's the only one who's still in the band, surely he's writing the he's bulk got- of the material. Like, I'm going to look at Discogs to see what the uh, writing credits are because I know I saw those earlier. I mean, he's definitely going to have writing credits for lyrics. Um,. But if there's so no other writing credits, he yeah. writes a majority of the songs. It looks yeah. like. Uh, I mean, that makes sense with how many the uh, members change over. Francisco, he has writing credits on four songs. No, 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 three songs. So yeah, I'm imagining that Kim is writing all the songs, but only playing the bass on the record. That's probably what yeah. it is. I'm I'm sure he's just like writing the chords and. And playing it, and then the guitarist comes up with their, you know, riffs or whatever, mm-hmm. their solos, which are so They're... unremarkable on this record. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't mind his solos. I thought the solo on the first track was pretty good. I mean, they um, were just fine. Like that was, yeah. they were just suited to the song. They almost sound more like a place filler. Like this is kind of the lead part I would play here, and not so much like a solo that he actually worked on. It's kind of just like, well, this is the pentatonic guitar scale that I can play over this chord. I don't know. I feel like that's a thing for like psychobilly and rockabilly where like the guitar is the flare. It's like supposed to be bass and drums and vocals. Like our like 
you, they just hold it together, you know, like guitarist has a whammy bar and has some fun. Um, but I feel like the solos aren't like, you're not supposed to be like, oh shit, that guy is awesome. No, you're supposed to be like, oh yeah, this is the part where there's no vocals. Well, I, yeah. I guess that's maybe why I prefer stuff like the cramps or mm. Reverend Horton heat, even stray cats, you know, where the guitars really are. The, the guitar lead guitarist in those bands are really good. Totally. Really good guitar players, so I don't know. Well, well, you need the guitar solo so that the bass player can surf on their bass. Right. <laughs> well, Stand. I mean, a good, a good place, bass player can surf on his bass while playing. <laughs> while standing on it and uh, yeah. flipping it. And... <laughs> We've said before that unless you're like deeply in the psychobilly scene, you only need one or two psychobilly bands. Yeah. <laughs> like for me, it, it it's Reverend Horton Heat and the Cramps, and I'm I'm pretty much done. Like I don't I don't need to listen to the Necromantics. Though in college, I did listen to a lot of horror pops for some reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think I even listened. I like downloaded a Necromantics album in college, and I was like, yeah, it's fine. Like it just didn't stick yep. with me. But weirdly, they're one of the biggest bands in the genre next to what tiger army i feel like it's just because they kept going yeah yeah, yeah. and then like is tiger army even like really psycho billy like they're more like a rockabilly like punky band yeah yeah they definitely are punky no tiger army they have the horror imagery and the mm, that's true that's true the cool flat tops <laughs> yeah they got stand-up bass <laughs> all the things you need oh uh, Oh, bowling back- shirts with flames, you know. <laughs> generally, the aesthetic of Guy Fieri. <laughs> oh man! Going going back to the length of this album, um, there are only two songs on this album that are under three minutes. There are multiple four minute long songs on this mm, record. Too long. Just yeah. This album is forty four minutes long, but it feels like an hour. It. I don't know. It. I would have. I would have trimmed these down to 10 because honestly, as a psychobilly band, you only need an album's worth of songs and you can get to 10. That's an album's worth. You don't have to keep writing. <laughs> Stop writing. <laughs> just, just, you just have to put out a record every couple years. Yeah. Like every three to five years is acceptable because you're such a novelty band. Like, I mean, no one really cares about the songs. <laughs> That's the thing that I don't understand about these songs being so long is like, especially with the mixing is like the lyrics don't matter. And also like, look at these songs. They're all jokes. Like, are you really saying anything important with the lyrics? No, you didn't need to have that extra verse. There are too many verses. Yeah. All of these songs have like three or four verses on them. And I'm like, stop. And you You can barely hear any of the lyrics too. Like it's just only the most egregious lines cut through the mix. (laughs) It's almost like he designed it on purpose. To be like, <laughs> Here's the worst thing that could be said in this song that people will hear. I looked up some lyrics, and I couldn't tell if it was the person who wrote the lyrics down didn't understand, in- like English wasn't their first language, or if that's actually the lyrics, because it was they were really rough. I mean, those were probably the actual lyrics. <laughs> were yeah. there? Yeah, I mean, his syntax didn't sound great, which, you know... It's not his language. I get it. But I wouldn't be surprised if the lyrics that are written down on the internet are are accurate. 
<laughs> just based on what I could hear. So I will give them one thing in terms of songwriting comparatively to our EP when we talk about that is they actually wrote bridges and they actually <laughs> wrote like at least multiple like parts to a song. Like it's true. Like, their song structure was perfectly fine. I like, did they play parts too many times? Sure. But like there was actual song structure. I'll say it again. The drumming was really good. Like, but yeah, yeah the drumming was, was yeah. Easily the best part, which is I, other than how it sounds. I don't like that sound, that tone, that it's yeah, very yeah. triggered. It's very metal and it really doesn't fit rockabilly <laughs> to my ears. That is very true. That's fair. Oh, well, she's a metal drummer, so that really makes sense. Um, and she's like a thrash, like almost like I don't want to say black metal, but like definitely like thrashy, like drummer, which like that triggered thing is like pretty common for that. Oh, yeah. She's got like a civil tour cover on YouTube. Yeah. So it's like, and that they're a band known for their drumming too. So you got to be, yeah. you got to have chops to play civil tour songs on drums uh, in stilettos. Right. Yeah. <laughs> With sprained knees. <laughs> Is she the greatest drummer to ever live? <laughs> I think she needs to have a drum off with Dave Grohl. Now I'm joking. <laughs> Did anyone feel like they they ripped off like a dozen other songs on this album though? There were so many moments that I was like, that that sounds okay. For example, uh there's one song that sounds like the beginning of Rumble by Link Ray, which that kind of makes sense. It fits the genre. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's some like very Reverend Horton Heat moments, mm-hmm. but then there's just weird ones I heard. Like there's some drumming on that song Crazy that sounds just like an Adam Ant song. <laughs> it has like the oh, just like Adam Ant. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I did notice that. There's a. There's a chorus in a song that sounds just like an American Steel chorus. Weird. Weird. And then on the song Once We Were Lovers, I could swear, this is, I don't know, this is just for me, I guess, but it sounds exactly like a song by the Christian hair metal band Fillmore. (laughs) I doubt that that was an influence. I doubt it, but there were too many moments where I was like, what? Why do they sound like pre-existing songs on so many tracks on this album? Well, they had to get to 13. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's only one way to do it. So <laughs> I was personally disappointed that Crazy, the song Crazy on this album was not a cover of Patsy Cline's Crazy. Because mm. I really wanted to hear Crazy for Feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm sad it's not a cover of Crazy on You by <laughs> Art. Oh, man. Oh, uh, wow. I'm trying to see. Let's see. You got any more notes? You said you had like four pages of notes, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you've kind of hit, you kind of hit a few of my big pages early with the like, <laughs> music scores and the charts for the year. I did want to mention the uh, the whistling on that song, <laughs> Love You Deadly. <laughs> Just listened to it, completely forgot that happened. Like, I just heard that song 45 minutes ago, probably. Well, almost an hour ago. We've been talking for a while. (laughs) Whistling on records is always so weird. And (laughs) it's just, it it was out of nowhere, too. You gotta be 
a whistler. Like you gotta be <laughs> that guy who whistles always and has just like perfect pitch and vibrato and like can do bird sounds. Like <laughs> otherwise, don't don't do it. Don't whistle on a record. You have to be Kipiguli or an old timey country singer. Yeah, I was going to be like, oh, yeah, if it's like past the 50s, I feel like uh, you didn't need to do it. Yeah, I would have loved to have heard some yodeling on this. <laughs> <laughs> the album cover is horrendous. Oh, wow. it, Man, no, see, the album cover is perfect because you know exactly what type of music is going to be inside. I mean, definitely. This is definitely painted on the, the side store. of a hot rod. Yeah. If you were in the store flipping through records and let's say you'd never heard of the Necromantics before and you look at this album cover, you're like, I know exactly what I'm getting into. Exactly. I'm getting into bad psycho Billy. Here we right. go. I mean, <laughs> it, it delivers the style and the quality just like right up front. Like, <laughs> I mean, if anybody's going to rip off a coupe uh, style artwork, it's going to be a psycho Billy band by not actually hiring coupe. I thought of like a '90s uh, World Industries uh, skate deck. <laughs> I like that they're almost doing the "Hear No Evil, Speak No Evil, See No Evil." Almost, almost. They're also keeping up with their album cover motif of having their three heads on the album. <laughs> also they, true. They've done that on one, two, three, four, five, six, seven albums now. Most of them are just photos of them in front of a. a <laughs> colored background like it's, it's there's nothing to them yeah they're just like a like a color splash yeah. on a back black background oh, oh man. Wow. just their poorly photoshopped heads oh well i think i've run out of notes on uh, this album so i guess we could go ahead and give it a, a rating i'll go first i'm gonna now give I'm looking, it a... now i'm looking at coop prince oh yeah <laughs> Excellent artist for the style. Right. And this is just a blatant like ripoff. Whoever they hired was like was like, Oh, I know what you want. Yeah, you're a psycho Billy band. I got you. <laughs> I, the, um, the artist's last his name is because I saw that as well. It is Jake Geiger. See, I if see I hear the name Geiger, many... like I'm gonna be real disappointed if I see this art. If I see this the is... name Geiger, I want some alien. I want some like crazy sci-fi stuff. Like I'm ready to go with HR, you know? This is the only art he has listed on Discogs as well. So he did <laughs> he hasn't done anyone else's album covers. He did some <laughs> horror pops shirts, it looks like. He's got a website with links that don't go anywhere? Not enough hot rod drawings though. Like, <laughs> like the rat think hot. <laughs> I would give this record a, hmm, I want to say a 2.5, but that feels too high for me. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't hate it. I laughed at plenty of it. But am I supposed to be laughing at it? I guess that's also the problem. Well, how much of it are you laughing at what he wants you to laugh at? And how much <laughs> of it are you laughing just at them? Well, I love his puns. So I'm definitely laughing with him. I there is a song I genuinely enjoyed on the record. I genuinely like the song "Sleepwalker with a Gun." It's the third track. I wound up singing along with it, like in the first listen, because there are five verses, and so it's very <laughs> easily to catch the chorus. 
but I, I kind of like that song. Yeah. What do you give it? I am going to give it, I think, I'm going to give it a two. I I get what they were going for. It felt very tired. <laughs> like, uh, it, it was just like, well, here we go. Another Psychobilly record. Another I mean, Necromantics record. It, it was totally uninspired. The mix was horrible. The drumming was good. And then that's probably where it gets the two points. Um, and for me, like a two point, that's kind of like the bottom level for something that was played competently. And like, I feel like once you get lower than two, like it's, I, t- I told Justin this as I was, I was kind of refining my rating system this week. Anything under two is where it's like actively working against itself. <laughs> and this was just like, not doing that so much as just not doing much to elevate itself, challenge itself. So, eh, two. I'm going to do it. Uh, I'm going to do a 2.25. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I think the drumming was pretty good. I think musically, it's it's exactly what a Psychobilly band sounds like. Like, they hit the nail on the head. But, like, were they, they weren't anything better than that. Um, and I kind of agree with you that like lower than a two for a, for a band that like has been around for 30 years is on a like real label, like two is probably the lowest you should go like to rate a band that like is like a quote unquote real band, like lower than a two, you got to mess up like real bad. Yeah. So, you, they're competent musicians. So you right, sh- exactly. It's not like that. If you can play your instrument and you know what you're doing, then you're automatically the lowest you can go, I think, is a two. Right. Like, in my mind, like, lower than a two is like, this should never have been released. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm going to go with two, 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 yeah, 2.25. Yeah. Sounds good. I was lying. I wanted to give it a 2.75 originally, but... <laughs> <laughs> we talked you down. I was too embarrassed to say that, so I knocked it down to two point five. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on to our EP. The irrelevant number is one sixty on the charts. Uh, <laughs> that is really high. All right, it it is, and we'll get into maybe why in a minute. It is coma and their EP in a coma.
Oklahoma were from Japan. That's all I could find. Uh, released this in 1985 on ADK Records. Uh, ADK is supposedly a legendary Japanese record label. Out of all the bands uh, that they put out, the only band that I recognized or had ever heard of was Gauze. Which is like, that's a legendary label right there. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's so hard because, you know, as as Americans, we're maybe not going to know what a legendary <laughs> label in Japan necessarily is. It's uh, a label primarily made up of uh, Japanese hardcore and, like, death death rock. So this is the final ADK record as well. Because in 1985, the owner of the label, Tam, disappeared. <laughs> um, he just dropped out of the scene altogether i think and apparently one of his bandmates because he was in a band called uh, the stalins one of his bandmates in 2011 said he passed away that year so i guess he just dropped out of the scene and mm-hmm. was just done releasing records but very strange it i think that may have also driven some of the curiosity in the united states as far as the this record label this is Koma's only release. The personnel on this record is Masashi on vocals, Naliquis, I don't know how to pronounce that name, uh, on guitar and bass, and Punyan on drums. Naliquis also played guitar in another death rock band called Faidia, and <laughs> Punyan also played, this is an even harder one to say, also played in a Japanese hardcore band called oh, Kikaiji? <laughs> Kikaiji? Probably. K-E-G. Yes. Yeah, yeah, probably. You think I would know a little more pronunciation as much Japanese wrestling I watch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that's literally all of the information I could find about this band or this label or these musicians. Um, so what did everyone think of this record? Uh, I liked aspects of it. Well, I'll say that. But... I feel like as a whole, it was kind of uh, forgettable. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I listened to it last night, and it I don't remember how any of the songs go. <laughs> so I'm kind of in the same camp. It's it was not unenjoyable to listen to. There were some really cool parts and some cool sounds, but very little distinguishable. You know. Yeah, I liked it, but none of the songs did much to distinguish themselves from each other. Mm-hmm. Like, they all sounded the same. Uh, the main difference between the first and second track is the first set, first track was instrumental. And, the and sec- somehow was four and a half minutes. <laughs> Can we talk about that for a second? Yes. Yeah. Two riffs. It's literally <laughs> two parts. And they just switch back and forth for four fucking minutes. <laughs> a minute and a half long, awesome instrumental song. And somehow just kept going and made me kind of hate it. <laughs> Sorry. I, do, I did really enjoy the second track. I thought that was the best one overall. I had some really cool drumming on it, which I thought the drumming was the most standout part. Agreed. The, record. Yeah. the guitar work, it was a cool guitar effect. And a cool, you know, distortion setting. That it just sounded really cool, but uh, yeah, it there wasn't much as far as like the writing, guitar wise, to really hang on to. 
I feel like I liked the sound of the guitar, but then he never changed the sound at all. It's yeah. like he, he found what pedals he likes mm-hmm. and he turns them all on and then that's it. And it was like, I feel like little dynamic in terms of that. Mm-hmm. At first you're like, oh, that's a really cool sound. I really, I really like that. And then it's, you know, 20 minutes later or however long it is. Yeah, it's what, a 13-minute EP? <laughs> Man, wow, it's only 13 minutes. All right, good time. Yeah, it definitely <laughs> felt longer. It did. So, Paul, are you are you very familiar with Death Rock? I'm not super familiar. I listen to it, but I don't like own any of it. Yeah. See, I was going to ask the same thing. What is Death Rock really? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like everyone knows what horror punk is. It's punk rock with spooky horror lyrics. But what really is Death Rock? To me, it's spooky post-punk <laughs> generally right. at least to my ears and, and it, it maybe leans a little into like some industrial sounds you know especially on this this was very like repetitive mechanical and and harsh sounding not so much like the the bass lead line mm. that you maybe would associate with other prominent death rock bands but yeah uh i saw I someone know. i saw someone described it as it's goth rock with punk guitars see i can see that that's a really good description i and think I it's guess... interesting too if you look at the cover art it almost looks like a mashup between like the bauhaus logo and the pill logo mm-hmm. i don't know if you can see that yeah. I saw I saw someone else said this says ignore the Bauhaus ripoff logo on the front is what one comment I read saw. <laughs> I mean, you know the Bauhaus didn't create the band Bauhaus didn't create that logo, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I totally know what the Bauhaus logo is. <laughs> <laughs> 
I have to actually look this up right now. I see it now. Okay. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it does have that. When I originally saw this artwork, I was like, and then I didn't remember that they were a Japanese band. And I was like, what language are they singing? What is this logo? I was very <laughs> worried for a moment that we accidentally were listening to a Nazi band. <laughs> because I was like, what's this logo? What's this language? And then I looked them up and they're Japanese. I'm like, okay, make sure this isn't Nazi still. <laughs> <laughs> and as far as we know, I don't know. No, I don't think so. I don't. I wouldn't assume so. I mean, if they're associated with gauze, I highly doubt it. Right, and they wouldn't be as well. So they're 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 treated as like a cult hit, or I don't know what not a cult hit, but like there's so little information about this band. But I did find a I did find an article from Cult Nation hmm. that was like under or little known death rock gems or something like that, and this was one of them. And it kind of led me down a little bit of a rabbit hole as far as Japanese, like, hardcore and death rock from this time period. I definitely was up till 4 a.m. listening to <laughs> Japanese death rock last night. Um, so, like, I listened to a little bit. I pulled up I pulled up the death rock charts for 1985. And 1985 was definitely a better year for death rock than 2011 was for Psychobilly. <laughs> <laughs> because you had Sam Haynes' Unholy Passion EP. Christian Death had like two albums. Uh, one called Ashes. Uh, Alien Sex Fiend had an album that, and then I saw a two Phoenix bands. One's called Mighty Sphincter, and another one called Theater of Ice. So, Dylan, you should go look them up. I am not googling Mighty Sphincter. <laughs> <laughs> And then I found a shitload of Japanese death rock bands. So like the two the two countries that produced the most death rock in eighty five was England and Japan. Hmm. Uh, and then like the states is right there, mainly due to like Christian Death and, and those two Phoenix bands. So uh, deserts and island nations <laughs> are, were really into death rock. But I listened to a couple. There were like four or five death rock bands out of japan mannequin neurose showed oh man i don't even want to try and say some of these names <laughs> gara <laughs> automod sadie sads uh shoujo ninyo i don't know that's probably atrocious but so did you was it illuminating did you learn anything why did death rock catch on in japan um i don't know why it caught on but i do think coma was one of the weaker well, i guess they're probably in the middle the the one I can't pronounce, the Shoujo Ningyo. God, I don't I'm I apologize to any Japanese person who listens to this episode and I'm butchering some of these names, but I thought that was probably the best one out of all of them. Um they were female fronted, but a little bit more aggressive. I know female fronted is not a genre, but they were like a borderline hardcore band. Hmm. And it, it I found the sound really interesting because even like Gauze, I listened to a little bit of it, and I I really dug the vibe of like Japanese hardcore bands, and it it it's very different from what the United States was doing, especially in '85. Because I mean, in '85 it was dying; everybody was going into crossover or metal, and um, but this was 
I don't know. I can't even really describe it. it. It was just really different. Really raw, short songs for the most part, which is funny because this, this EP's not that short, but <laughs> it made me think, though, that Japan did Death Rock better than most everyone else did. I mean, outside of Sam Hain. Well, when you listen to stuff like Gauze and that, like, Japanese hardcore stuff, you really don't hear it in America until more like the 90s with, like, bands like Drop Dead and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, then you hear a lot of that Japanese influence. But this, the death rock stuff is like a weird sort of amalgamation of like all of that. Like one of the things that I really got listening to like the production of this record, and I don't know if maybe it's because I was listening to a YouTube like rip of it, like who knows. It reminds me a lot of like lo-fi late 90s, early 2000s, like screamo-y stuff. Yeah. Not physically, but in production, you know? They're, even their artwork is a lot like that. Yeah, like this would be a 7-inch that some band somewhere got put out and you'd see in like the $2 bin eventually. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it reminds me a lot of uh, even submission hold records. Like it looks like that, like stuff that would have come out on like old Glory records, you know, old like screamo hardcore stuff from the late 90s. It's mm-hmm. a lot of like Xeroxed covers on mm-hmm. like colored paper, yellow and like tan tans or like green paper. I bet the packaging really was just like maybe a folded piece of paper. Totally. A lot of these. And it, it makes you wonder too. It's like, wow. And everything was a seven inch. Like all these bands, oh, yeah. all they have is just seven inches. Only a couple have like an album. So it's almost as if like American Screamo kind of. <laughs> ripped off Japanese hardcore from the 80s <laughs> as far as their like well, presentation well I'm sure like this band was very similar to those bands where, where it's just like I have four songs I should get them recorded they should exist uh, we're playing shows why don't we have a thing let's do a thing like yeah. I don't want to wait till I write 10 songs or lucky 13 <laughs> <laughs> I mean it really uh, made me want to go down a like and really explore Japanese hardcore a little more, especially like the eighties and nineties stuff. Cause I, oh, totally. I think there's a lot there that as Americans, we're probably missing out on due to the language barrier and due to like, like a lot of times the band names are written in kanji. So mm-hmm. like, it's even incredibly difficult for us to search for that band. So I, that's where the advantage of rate your music comes in. Sometimes like there's enough people who are aware of these bands and are entering in the actual kanji and even have like a what do you call it alphanumeric you know like um not english alphabet but oh uh, like almost like a translate yeah like a ro- what is the actual what is our we're, you know how like there's sanskrit there's like the russian slavic fonts and languages like they have their own alphabets i can't remember transliteration yeah that wouldn't be it that no it's like for letter alpha romantic or whatever you call it i don't know we are not uh <laughs> listen this is a this is a music podcast let's uh <laughs> listen as justin your, struggles english, with language <laughs> take your english degree to uh, another no <laughs> whatever it is our letters ain't the same <laughs> But, like, it made me really want to get into, like, Japanese hardcore. And I'm like, oh, great. Now I'm going to become an even weirder nerd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, just wait, man. Those seven inches are not cheap. No, no. <laughs> I'm not going to buy them. 
I'll just be listening to YouTube rips. <laughs> I mean, the the cheapest Coma 7-inch, if you would like to buy the one we're talking about right now, is on Discogs for $35. Mm-hmm. Huh. That's pretty cool. I wonder I'm, how many copies they made. Uh, yeah, good question. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. What, uh, Rate Your Music gives us an album of 2.95, which knowing Rate Your Music and the type of stuff that's on here, that actually seems kind of low. Because I feel like the only people who would be raiding Coma would be people who are into Japanese hardcore and death rock from the 80s. So you'd think it would be a higher score, but oddly, it's not that popular amongst even fans of this type of music. Hmm. Yeah, that struck me as odd, too. I figured if you're the kind of person who's going to listen to this, you're probably going to at least like it. Mm -hmm. I'm really curious as to who's giving this, like one star you know reviews to drag that score down so i wonder if uh like we were talking about how this is more guitar driven than a lot of stuff of that same genre i wonder if that might be caused by the fact that it was the same person who played both guitar and bass on it if they're a guitarist then like obviously the bass kind of suffered and then so if you're a fan of this genre you're expecting more of a bass driven thing I could see that because the guitarist and bass player on this EP plays guitar in that band, Faidia. Right. Oh, man. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I have a hard time with Italian (laughs) words and names, and (laughs) doing Japanese is even harder for me. But uh, yeah, it it is weird. I'm looking at, like, because Rate Your Music, it it lets you give kind of a little tag to what you rated it. Mm. I see, Dylan, you rated it an honorable mention. Um, <laughs> there's like nice, indifferent, it's fine and solid, not feeling it at the moment, maybe later. Good, good, B plus, average, good. Yeah, someone didn't like it. They gave it like a one and a half star, which I don't think that's fair, really. No, no. Not yeah. what. And I mean, how people use the five star rating system like it's super subject subjective i mean some people use it almost like a pass fail just like mm. five stars or one star like typically with like pro- product reviews on like amazon places like that like anything below a four is like trash <laughs> mm-hmm. so it's kind well, of an well, esoteric no system no gray area yeah hmm but uh are we do we want to give this our individual ratings Sure. Sure. I'll go first. Uh, I'm gonna put it at a. I'm gonna put it at a three point two five. I feel like the songs were a little repetitive, and I know that's kind of what they were going for with the industrial thing, and like maybe that's just not really my thing. Like I thought the songs were really good. I thought they were really competent. I really liked the production style, but that's because I really like that production style. Uh-huh. I feel like all the songs probably could be cut like at least half a minute to a minute, like, and then I would really like them. Specifically, that like instrumental first song could be like chopped in half. Yeah, but yeah, I'd give it like I'm gonna give it a three two five. Yeah, yeah. The, the shortest song is three minutes and one second, and that's yeah. uh, track three, Coda. Yeah, I I'm probably in the same. I initially gave it a 3.5 on Rate Your Music, which they don't give you the quarter points. There. Oh, right. So, 
I'm just making up my own uh, my own thing over here. Well, that's I what would, we do. Yeah, <laughs> I would probably downgrade it to a three on rate your music, but I would say a three point two five is the probably the more accurate. Interesting. I'm glad that I listened to it. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm above neutral on it. You know, like I I thought it was really interesting, but yeah, it really could have benefited from some trimming, some a little more dynamics, some tempo changes. Like I, I oh, really yeah. want to say every song was the same tempo. Yes. Like it, it, beginning to end, it was just like the same beat, same tempo. So that dragged it down. But the basic guitar sounds were really cool. The drumming was really cool. It had that a really nice raw sound without being like that unlistenable kind of <laughs> poorly recorded rawness. Just like just a good raspy sound. Yeah. But nothing really stuck with me. You know, I don't remember how the songs actually went. <laughs> <laughs> so um i'm gonna give it a yeah i'll give it a 3.25 as well um it's i'm very grateful we did this because it definitely opened up a new avenue for me to explore yeah the recording quality is low quality yet strong enough that it's not unpleasant to listen to like you run into that issue a lot with a lot of like early 80s hardcore bands that had like zero money um <laughs> the typically any like i was talking about north carolina hardcore from like the early 80s a couple episodes back and those are some of the worst sounding recordings you'll ever hear and uh this is definitely a step above that but it's not maybe as clean as something like an sst record or a discord record so i enjoyed that i i think the drumming was excellent the guitar work was cool it was just a cool effect i would have liked a little bit more variation i do think <laughs> so many of these songs sound exactly the same but yeah a 3.25 is where i stand on it um yeah i think that was my issue is like the 14 minute long youtube rip it sounds like one song yeah it really did i wonder how much to it's a probably a vinyl rip and yeah so, and it's on youtube so you know the bit rate is definitely gonna be lower than what you would hear out of your own turntable. I would be. I would love. I wonder to if hear. I pulled the trigger on that thirty-five dollars. If I feel differently about it. <laughs> <laughs> but then there's another psychological element there. Like, well, I have to like it. I spent thirty-five dollars on a seven-inch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. So next week we will be continuing our Halloween spooktacular, and for next week's episode, it's going to be an interesting one. So we are talking about. The Guana Bats and their album Held Down at Last. And our EP for that episode is White Zombie, Gods of Voodoo Moon. <laughs> Those are some picks right there. Yeah. Um, our guest next week actually selected this one on the back of Guana Bats. So she specifically wanted to talk about them. So that'll be fun to talk about. And I'm glad she wanted to talk about them because I have no idea what they're really even about. So <laughs> I know what White Zombie is. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, Paul, thank you so much for doing the show again. We love having you here. Thanks for having me. Uh, please let everyone know where we can uh, find you online and buy your stuff. TorJohnsonRecords.com, T-O-R Johnson. There's a big web store in there full of all sorts of fun stuff, uh, all my releases. And you can also search Teeth Like Swords Printing uh on facebook instagram etc uh, for all your printing needs 
And all of these will be in the show notes, of course. Please continue to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're at Punk Lotto Pod. Um, our email is punklottopod at gmail.com if you just want to send us whatever. Uh, <laughs> we got like two albums sent to us in the last month. so Nice. Uh, uh, add them to the list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And our website and I- is... Our website is punklottopod at simplecast.fm. Uh, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. We got another five-star review on uh, iTunes yesterday, so uh, hey. that's really yes. awesome. They didn't write anything. It was just a star rating, but still, it's always worth an extra point. So uh, if you haven't yet, go give us a rating. We'd love to uh, get our numbers up a little more just as far as so we can get on charts somewhere and have people discover us on their own outside of finding us on random hashtags on Instagram. <laughs> like a majority of our listeners. So many comments recently uh, about, oh, the birthday party rule. Don't listen to that episode. <laughs> but yeah, that'll do it for us this week. So thanks for listening, boys and ghouls. <laughs> <clears throat> Boils and ghouls. Igor. <laughs> Go and get me what I crave.